Welcome back to another episode of Comeback Stories. Darren Waller here, my man Donnie Starkins to my left. Uh, we have an incredible guest here with us today. Uh, guy that's played 16 years in the NFL. I was blessed to be a part of two of those as his teammate. Um, surefire Hall of Famer when it's his time. Uh, five Pro Bowls, three-time All-Pro, um, 1,000 catches, almost 15,000 yards receiving. Steve Smith Sr., the one and only, man. Welcome. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's really exciting to have you here, man. I, I knew from the jump, like, when making a guest list, that I would love to have you on. So it's exciting to have you here today, man. Yeah, that's cool. You know, that everything you're doing and how you're doing it, you know. So uh, it's it's an honor. You know, when you, you, you know, um, a lot of people don't know it, but, you, you know, um, you know, if you are one of the guys that, you know, I, I, I consider a friend or I trust, you know, you can always call me. So, um, you know, anytime you need something from me, you know, my, my, my answer is always I got you. So, you know. I appreciate you, man. To, to just give some people some context, uh, coming into the NFL, you know, I played in a triple option offense in college, and it wasn't really, like, a big – it wasn't exciting at all. And I didn't really have any real, like, greatness in front of me to look around to on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I got to the Ravens, and just being around you, I was just like – it was a wake-up call for what greatness looked like and, like, in an intensity of that kind of level and just that level of focus and the competitive nature. Like, you were the one that woke me up, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what greatness looks like. Like, if I'm going to do it, somehow I got to be on the path that this dude is on. So I had to acknowledge you for that, for setting that path and setting that standard for me. And now, like, I'm one of the guys on my team that kind of sets the standard, and you are a guy that I constantly think of as far as setting an example for me. So I appreciate that, man. Sorry for getting in the middle of the game. <laughs> Man, I, I just like watching you play, dog. I mean, um, just seeing everything. Um, you know, I think uh I think um my my wife, she's going to take they going to tennis, so I had to say hello, you know, got it doesn't doesn't matter what I'm doing, you always gotta acknowledge uh the wife the better half. So um man, it's it's one of the things that's really cool about ball. But also, as I sit back and reflect, it's one of the things that you miss about ball is, uh, you know, those aha moments. And, um, you know, there's a lot of aha moments with you, Darren. And I sit back and I watch you play. And, um, you know, and I've always said this in every locker room I'm in, every receiver room I'm in, you know, I care about when I'm sitting back, you know, you know the, you know the story. When I'm sitting back at the house, reti- when I'm retired, I want to make sure – that when you catching passes, I don't say that I know that football player. I know that man, mm. right? And I know that man you are. And I've always, you know, for me, and you know what, I'm, I, I am who I am. He's who I be, um, whether you like me or not. But uh, every locker room I'm in, every receiver's room I'm in, um, you know, uh, I probably should have did a better job. But, man, I, I'm, I'm, I check guys' hearts, right? And I think that's extremely important because when you're checking a guy hard, um, you know if he, you can count on him. Right. And I know this may come across the wrong way, but not every football player is great, and not every man in the locker room you could depend on them. Mm. You can't trust their heart. Um, and so I, 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 I'm just being 100, being real. Yep. Um, some people may be watching this now, and that's fine. They can say, you know, who do you think you are? Or who, you know, what makes you special? Um, you know. God says each and every one of us is special. So uh, I take that serious. And, um, 
you know, as you know, as I play, I always went for it. Is, um, you know, when I trash you as a DB, and uh, <laughs> when I take your professional soul, uh, when you go up to meet the Lord, they gonna ask you who sent you, and I'm telling Agent Eighty Nine sent you. <laughs> that's that's just kind of how I go about it. That's how I played ball. Um, I played for keeps. That's what I love the most about you, man. Like, there's no, there's nobody like you. I, I think there never will be. And I love this. I think this is a great opportunity for people to see another side of you, the man in the uniform. And that's why I think this is going to be such a great conversation. So I want to start by diving into, you know, what was life like growing up for you? Where did you grow up? What was your family situation like? What did your environment look like? Uh, t- take us through your early life. Man, you know, I, I, I rep it. Only, only hats I ever wear. Yep. I got a, I got a dresser full of them. He know you never see me repping anything else but LA, because that's where I'm born and raised. Uh, that's where I'm from. That's who I am. Uh, that's that has shaped me and molded me. Um, the unfortunate part about that shape and mold is I become an adult, as I become a father, as I become um, an advocate in the community. I tell you, one of the biggest things that's difficult about growing up in the inner city of any city is. When you are a young man, young woman, and lower income, you have to jump through so many more hoops to get by, and yet you lack the basic necessities and resources. And I think that's one of the extremely tough things about uh, the inner city. Um, And I see it here in Charlotte where I I do a lot of my uh, business and also philanthropy um, because I'm ingrained here, my family's here, my wife here, my kids. Um, and so I think that's extremely important. Uh, I don't do a lot in LA because I don't live in LA. I can't be there. I can't touch it. I can't watch it. Um, and so, uh, if I can't touch it and watch it, then that means, uh, uh, it can't be something that's essential or something that I build into, um, because I don't want to be an absentee father and I don't want to be an absentee, uh, philanthropist or, or business owner, or entrepreneur, so um, that's what that's why I do a lot here in Charlotte. But um, grew up in LA. Mom, you know, she struggled, single mom. I saw my dad on the weekends. He did the best he could. My mom did the best he could. My grandma and grandpa uh, leaned in and taught me. My aunts and uncles. My mom is one of thirteen. So between my grandfather and grandmother, who had my mother, who my mother obviously had me, and then I had my kids. There are sixty-five of us kicking. And uh, it's a, it's a it's always a very entertaining family get together uh, because it starts off well, but somebody always does something to just make it go sideways. <laughs> no, I hear that. Um, you know, one thing that we like to talk about on here is um, I like to ask, like, what is there an early memory of pain from your younger oh, yeah. years that you can look to to maybe put you into survival mode or made you feel like you had to grow up faster or you know it just changed the way that you looked at the world. I mean, my mom was a single mom. I was the last key kid. So I always, uh, I had to grow up faster. Um, you know, growing up in the inner city uh, around, you know, I was born in 79. So with that, you know, you have the uh, the crack epidemic. You have just all those things that you, you have to go through um, that a young man shouldn't go through. You didn't have time to really, uh, to, to sit and be, be still, to, um, to just do the kid things. And so I make sure that my kids are allowed to be kids. Um, yeah, I made some mistakes, but just um, 
you know, I, I don't think, you know, by the time by the time I was seven or eight years old, I was washing dishes. And, you know, I'm not killing them like you on the height department. So my mom got a stool. And you got to imagine that at, in the first or second grade, I'm washing dishes. Right. I learned how to wash dishes by probably by the, <clears throat> by the fifth grade. Man, I was able to cook, clean. I was mopping. Um, I was doing a lot of things uh, that a young man. Um, now that I'm older, I understand it, but I wasn't allowed to be a kid. We did, we didn't have the family structure to be a kid, you know. I had to I had to grow up fast. I hear that. I know there's there's probably two sides to that is not being able to enjoy the childhood joys, but on the other side of that, I feel like there's also like an instillment of a certain level of discipline that has carried you through your life, through your career, into your into your family today. Um, would you say that your mom was like the main teacher for you growing up? Who was the first teacher that you could look back to? Was it your mom, a relative, or a coach, or somebody like that? I think everybody, I, I really believe everybody was a teacher. My mom taught me some things that uh, I wish she didn't. Um, my dad taught me some things I wish he didn't. Uh, the streets taught me some things I wish it, it, it didn't. Um, my grandfather taught me a lot. My grandpa taught me a lot. Um, I lost my grandpa uh, November 2008. Uh, 2007, and then I lost my grandmother um, coming up the week, the Saturday before Father's Day. Um, she died, actually. She, she, Her heart stopped at 89 years old, and I was on my way to L.A. Um, uh, we were going to stop and see her as we were out there, and she passed. So um, there's a lot of people that I learned good, bad, um, and things I wish I wouldn't have learned. Yeah, I feel like everything that we learn, everything that we experience serves a purpose. And I know that it served to help you progress your career, just progress as a man. Can you take us through what your early I, football journey was? Through? I, I disagree with that a little bit. Talk Dude. to me, man. Talk to me. I don't think at 10 years old you be, I should be have seen some of the stuff I've seen. And that didn't, that didn't teach me anything but harden my heart, man. Mm. Like the first time – just being 100, talking to my dog, right? And yep. and, and Donnie, I'll, 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 I'll let you be my dog for the day, all right? <laughs> um, the first time I ever wanted to kill somebody was probably about eight, eight or nine years old when it was my mom, she was dating a dude named Teddy. Uh, Teddy had a little bullshit-ass jerry curl. Um, y'all gonna have to edit that out because I'm, I'm not supposed to cuss. So, you, you can cuss. Teddy you, had, you, you, you can be you, bro. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm not supposed to. Y'all got to edit Oh, right, 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 right. Protect Steve at all costs. So uh, Teddy had a jerry curl, and Teddy was a crackhead, and Teddy got paid. Teddy did some things, and uh, Teddy was not my father. Um, and so he, my mom confronted him about some things, and she, he, uh, he, he beat her up. And the uh, neighbors called the ambulance. And I just remember um, my son is seven, you know, my, my youngest right now, Deuce, is seven years old. Uh, he'd be eight July 2nd. And I cannot imagine his little heart having so much rage. Mm. That's not healthy. That, that, that shouldn't be the standard. Mm. And because I had some of that happen to me at such a young age, you know, 
the me mentally and physically in my brain and trying to create all those things that you are going through as a kid formulating, you know, how to love and how to process. Man, some of that got rewired at an age it shouldn't have been rewired. Mm. And that didn't help me. Man, it hurt me. It hurt me at times that uh, that even when I look back now, that when I look at my kids, to imagine what some of the things that I experienced at before the age of 12 or 13, man, it's tough. I feel you on that. I appreciate you bringing that perspective too, because there are, you know, I feel like there are certain things I've been through in my life that I feel like the perspective that I brought up works for me, but there are people like you just said that go through things that, you know, they can't learn from. They just have to feel and they have to carry with them because at 10, you don't really know how to process it. Like you said, you don't know how to overcome it in a way or to, or to let that go. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate you. Like, like you shouldn't be at 10 years old process, processing <laughs> grown folk stuff, facts, right? Facts. You shouldn't. Like, you know, on my podcast, and I, and I want to have you on mine, one of the things that we talked about is I had a secret, man. I was uh, I was sexually abused. Mm. And I held that secret till I was pretty much in my 30s when I, you know, when I retired and started doing some counseling and I realized that I was sexually abused. And basically the story is, my mom's friend, her her good friend, she had a daughter and a son, and the son made me and his little sister have sex. And I was in the, I think I was in the third grade. Yeah. And he watched us. And my counselor said, whoa, rewind. And we had to unpack that. And he said, you know, that, that, that that's not normal. That's 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 abuse. And the craziest part is, you know, this is before cell phones, pagers. I was afraid every time the house phone rang. And look, I grew up straight. I grew up in a, 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 a I grew up with a mother who was struggling. It was on Section A. We, we, she did the best she could. I was with a one. I was with a mom who the bill collectors were always calling, so our phone was always ringing. And every time the phone rang, I thought it was such and such saying that this happened. Can you imagine? Can you so think about it? Can you imagine every time your phone has a notification in today's age, like every time the house mm-hmm. phone rang, you know, to, to tense up like that? Well, you know that that's how I felt in Baltimore the first few years that I was there because I was failing almost every drug test and I thought somebody at the anytime a coach called me I was like that that feeling that you just described is how I felt every time my phone lit up for three or four years three or four years as an adult a young adult right what is a third grader supposed to feel like Mm. so by the time I was a fourth grader in elementary school I learned how to hide secrets Go ahead, Donnie. I see it all. I, I see there's it all. so yeah. much, man. It's, it's fascinating. Your story is fascinating. Um, just learning more about your story, it all makes sense to see how you fought on the field. Um, mm. I often hear people label it as a chip on your shoulder, but it's obviously something beyond a chip. Um, couple, 
Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's a way chip. deeper people, than that. A chip a pe- some people say it's a chip, man. I, listen, hmm. I, here's my day today. I woke up this morning. First of all, me and my wife are totally opposite, right? And 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 D knows this. I get up early, have my cup of coffee, right? So this is Steve Smith Senior, the the infamous chip. <laughs> man, I'm up. I'm up at. So first of all, my clock is 30 minutes ahead of my wife's. So when it, I'm supposed to get up at 611, right? I always use odd numbers. I don't know why. I'm, I'll figure it out later. 611. When I wake up, because my clock is 30 minutes fast, it's 538. So I get up, brush my teeth, I get I get dressed for my workout, and I'm sitting in the in 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 the kids in my family room, watching a little sports, catching up on stuff, and folding clothes. I'm doing towels and underwears and socks. Fold that up. Then I have my cup of coffee. That's what I like my little energy drink. Just, you know, a little, little cream, a little sugar. Drink it. And then I go upstairs and get on my Peloton and I'll do a ride. From that from that ride, I'll get up, take my dog for a walk. And I'll listen to an audio book or listen to some music, whatever I'm feeling that day. Gospel, R&B, jazz, rap, some trap music, you name it. <laughs> then after that. I get showered and I start my day. I get up at six, six o'clock in the morning, fold clothes, whatever needs to be done, or you know, sit down and talk journal. Bro, by seven o'clock, I am ready to go. You talking hmm. about some people like, man, I wonder what's going on. Try me if you want to at 7 a.m. <laughs> I love that. But that's how that's my day. We always talk and, about and- morning routines, man. And, and you, you got to the answer before we even asked the question, but you know, it's part of the system, right? It's the foundation. I always say win the morning, win the day, win the day, win the week. It's all about momentum, but even going back, but going back to your childhood, um, it's fascinating to hear more in depth and thank you for sharing and being so real and raw about the sexual abuse. There's for me personally, there's nothing more fulfilling than sitting here with you and Darren and hearing two yeah. men, three men talking about this stuff. Like this is how we change yes. the conversation and give people permission to, to, to do the same. Cause I always say we're only as sick as our secrets. Mm. So to be able to mm. get it out there and really own the wound and until you can really own the wound, only then can you write the ending of the story until you own it and you do some work and you work through it, that wound owns you. And they say 95% of our day is operated from our subconscious mind, which means mm. 95% of our day is in our thinking. And then also going back from ages zero to seven is where all of our programming happens. So all of our programs, yep. all of our stories. So basically our programs are running our subconscious. So, you know, just to hear everything that you went through at, at such a young age, but then also to hear a shift in your perspective when you right. mention your family and you say they were doing the best they could, right? That's like, you're not the victim anymore. You're not holding resentments. You are seeing them as doing the best they, they could with what they had. And what that does is it frees us up from any kind of self-pity and victimization, which clearly is why you are inspiring others, being of service, and a man of faith like you are today. It's it's fascinating, man. I'm just grateful to have this conversation with you. I appreciate it. What would you say, what was the shift for you as far as, the other one thing I wanted to mention that you talked about in your, in your childhood that... All of that helped you on the field, but that it really kind of 
jacked you up with the struggles off the field, right? I've heard you mention mm-hmm. that before. So yeah, it allowed you to have that boulder, that chip, whatever you want to call it. But off the field um, is where you would struggle from all that, from the childhood wounds, basically. Well, off the field, what it did is it closed me off, right? How I can look at a guy like Darren, love on him, and then come in the next day and I'll just be like, man, I don't feel like dealing with nobody today. Like, I'm, I'm good. And, you know, people people would be would say or, or like, man, Steve, you know, what's wrong with Steve today? And it was just the emotional roller coaster, right? Not knowing why. And so today, as I, I, I sit in front, of you, in front of you via Zoom, the interesting part is I know who I am finally. And I'm comfortable who I am. I'm comfortable sitting in my messiness, but I'm also comfortable sitting. I know who I am. I know what I need. Uh, and I'm okay with asking questions. And I have enough friends and allies uh, in my life that they do affirm me, they ask the right questions, and they're helping me achieve, uh, you know, to get where I need to go to, to be a, a, a whole man, a whole husband, a whole father, a whole uncle, a whole nephew. I, I hear that, and it's like from young kids, especially kids that love football, it's like to know who we are as a man is not at the top of our priority list. We think that who we are as men has something to do with something that we can put into our bank account. Uh, The stat line that I read off at the beginning of the intro of the show, um, you know, just things like that when it's like it has nothing to do with these transactional things or these things that we can touch. It's like it's what's inside of us. And I feel like that's why this is so important to shift the perspectives of young people because it's like what if a 10-year-old hears you saying this and they may be going through a similar situation or holding on to the pain that they hear. It's like, I feel like it's on us now as men that have succeeded in this platform and have seen some great things happen to be like, this, this ain't everything. Like it, it can still yeah, be I, hard. So what, you, what you're saying is what you're getting to. And I, I, I'll let you have it is um, we're talking about heart questions. Mm. We're, 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 we're talking from the heart, right? If you ask a man a heart question, ask a man how he knows, you know, I I still get teary, teary eyed, man, of what you you know, when we did our, our sit down and hearing your father mm-hmm. said that you'll always be my horse. Like mm-hmm. when you ask men, what is your, what did your father what, who is your father and what did your father show you? My follow-up to that is what did your father show you with his words and also what he, did he show you with his actions, right? My dad. Go ahead. I was about to, to, to jump on it and answer. Uh, my dad, uh, he showed me grace from the very beginning. Looking back, I didn't know what it was at the time. He was always like, a voice of reason and I was like how is he so mild-mannered when I'm you know the principal is calling the house every week in middle school because I can't sit still in class uh, I'm, I've gotten arrested three times I've gotten suspended at every single level of athletics I've ever participated in but the whole time he's like you know I'm still in your corner um, these yeah. these are things that you can 
can learn from. He's like, you get, and he always talked about, you know, you know, getting caught on a humble when it's like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not dialed in. I'm not locked in and being disciplined and, tr and trying to, you know, grow in my character. I'm just trying to, you know, live life and do what everybody else is doing, but I can't do what everybody else is doing because I'm not everybody else. So he was guiding me along that path without kind of beating me over the head with a hammer, but still holding me to a high standard. I, I tell you one of the things that has really changed my perspective. Uh, and so I, I read something that said this and it's really made me think about how would that would have helped me, which is um, an unqualified compliment. Mm. Just sit with it for a little bit. Man, I'm, I, I only can speak for the way I grew up. Man, I, I an unqualified, unqualified compliment in my home would have never existed as a child because that was not the standard set by my, my grandparents to tell my mom. So my mom didn't know how important that was. And the reason I know is because I'm just learning how important it is today. And what I mean by an unqualified compliment isn't about qualification or disqualification. It's about what it does and how it builds up. Because, because I never received or rarely received unqualified compliments, it hurt me to when I received a qualified compliment, I never stopped to acknowledge the compliment because I was always achieving and trying to reach for the next so I never really saw and listened and thought about how beneficial unqualified compliments are when you're younger to when you become this adult that you're able to receive them in a healthy way. I heard you say also in your back in the day growing up in L.A. that you could never really relax, which, mm -mm. again, I feel fascinating. It's fascinating to me to hear that because that's not how I grew up. I grew up. It was pretty easy for me growing up. Um, but just the fact that you couldn't relax, that you couldn't trust, that you couldn't trust another guy or like another guy comes into the locker room and you don't want to open up your heart to them, you know, or be honest or acknowledge them. Um, but you can, I can just see how it can make us hard, right? We're, we're trying to protect ourselves, but really our heart is closed. And if your heart's closed, you can't receive love. And if you can't receive love, you really can't give it back away. Mm-hmm. You you would like me to argue with you? No, 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 no. I'm just touching on your point, but I, I I feel like what since this is comeback stories, what was the bottom? Like, what would you say was like your your bottom? I've been out of man. I've been at the bottom a few times. Um, man, one of the things is uh, I was at the bottom when I got to Baltimore emotionally. Just that, that, you know, you got to understand, and it's going to happen to you, Darren. Hopefully it won't. But at some point, if, you know, when a team decides that they don't want you, that process in which how you are handled in that process of being released, because what it says is you aren't good enough. You got you to gotta remember, right. you get on the football field, you know, everything about you, you're prepared for, you're ready for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can win, sometimes you can lose. But you're never really prepared to get released. You may, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, is the not for long league, right? Prove something every year. Guaranteed contracts can also be, uh, they can cut you and still have to pay you like they did me in, in, in Carolina. 
But then now, you you know, everybody wants to date you when you're married. Then when you're single, the numbers dwindle. So I had 50, I had all these teams always wanting, man, we had a you, Steve, you know, we, then I'm becoming a free agent. These 15 teams, it whittled down to, to five and only three gave numbers that were actually, you know, contracts that was worth my time, right? Because the other ones were, well, we, we, you know, I've talked to him and I, I said I want him, so we got to give him a number. We know he, you know, a 13-year a, a vet who's, you know, made a Pro Bowl a year and a half before, we, you know, we offer him a million dollars a year. Man, well, I'm not taking that, right? You right. Could, and I'm not saying I'm not taking it because I expect more. That's just the market, right? If I, if we, if you, you can want a Bentley, but Bentley doesn't have Honda prices. So that that's unrealistic. Mm. And I'm not a Honda at that time. Right. So, you know, now I'm a Tesla. I don't, I don't need gas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got released, that was the, that was, it was a confirmation. See, you weren't good enough, Steve. Mm. You, you really actually aren't as good as they say. And that's and that's the that's the greatest Carolina Panther ever saying that. So it's like for somebody that's listening, I hear like, no matter what the achievements are, the same way you talked about the compliments, you you want to get to the next one, like the achievements. You want to get to the next achievement, and then it's like when one thing happens, like somebody nine people could say amazing things about you, that tenth person says something negative. My mind is going straight to that tenth person. I'm holding on to that, and you you see me. I'm I, I I came into Baltimore, you know, not even a man on a mission, but my 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 care meter was at negative ten, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I was on that. I, I like to say I mean I was on that house money, right? When you when you on house money, you spending somebody. You know, man, my kids do all the time. You spending somebody else money. You don't, you don't, Eh, whatever, right? You know, it's like Amazon. You know, you got Amazon, man. You, you just cart, 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 and then ding dong, here it is. You know, you look up, and you know, twenty five items later, <laughs> <laughs> stack. Yeah. So, um, I mean that 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 was it, and then just how it manifests itself in Baltimore, and and what it did, and how I conducted myself, how I carried myself. Um, man, it was, uh, I spent a lot of energy. I spent a lot of energy trying to do things that really were, weren't even there. Mm. I was trying to prove something that I didn't realize I already proved it. Mm. It's that same not enough story. Darren's talked about it with his, his core wound of, you know, people telling him he wasn't black enough growing up. Right. So that not enough story and, and so much in today's world, it's the image of perfection that we're chasing, which isn't even a real thing. So we keep chasing something that's not real and we're never going to be, it's just validating the not enough story even more. So until we can love ourselves and find it from within, instead of trying to seek something outside of ourselves, and fill a void we can't fill ourselves. So it's like get right on the inside. But yep. a lot of that is the 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 work, right? And the therapy and the the outside help that yeah. 
that we get. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know you've talked about that being instrumental in yeah. your career and doing it before it was maybe a thing. And then also how that helped oh, yeah. you in the in the transition out of football. Man, the trans you know, without me not playing football, right? And when I when I played, I always told everybody, I said, man, when I'm done playing, I'm done. Right? I'm gonna go take a trip with y'all boys in training camp. I'm gonna send you a picture. And when them boys were in training camp, I sent all the guys that I I, I was with, I sent them a picture. <laughs> we were in Hawaii. I said, I told y'all, go have fun in practice. Um, but what was interesting, I was away from the game. We were in Hawaii, but I was such like a grumpy person to be around. And what was interesting is as so I went to Hawaii and then my family, because my 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 one of my boy, my oldest was in college, so he had to go back to college for, for for training. My daughter was in high school, so she had to go back for volleyball. So Boston, who was there, me and him went to Tokyo. But yet before I went to Tokyo, Deuce, Steve Smith Jr was just like his daddy. He, he, you know, he said how he felt and everybody laughed and I took their laughter the wrong way and kind of was like rude. And so I went to Tokyo for, I think seven or eight days with my son and then another buddy of mine and his son as like a father and son trip. And I had a great time in Tokyo, but at night, I was literally having conversation with my wife. We were on the pinnacle of divorce because I was such a, a unpleasurable person to be around. What was the shift? What was the story you had to start telling yourself or stop telling yourself in order to start to, to come back from that and find this purpose beyond I had, to, I had to unpack a lot of baggage. That's what I had to do. Like we don't even know how much is weighing us down. Like, you know, a, a therapist I had before, like basically like had me do like a visualization of like my baggage and like just like literally like a, a stupid picked image, but it's like me walking around with all these suitcases and like, you know, or like a barbell on my back trying to go around and do all these things and jump through hoops for people. And it's like, if you get that image of that, like that's exhausting when you look at it, but it's like we, it's, it's an injury that you can't see, though. And so it's like we don't think we can't see it. So it's like we don't, we're not aware that it's there. But in order for it, it took therapy, it took all kind of things. It took rehab for 30 days, like completely away from my world as I thought that I knew it and viewed it for me to recognize all the things of the baggage that I was there. Like, you know, for me, like I remember in sixth grade, I had a girlfriend and I, we were going to meet at the middle school club and met at the middle school club and she was with an eighth grade dude. And I was just like crushed. And from then on, I carried this mindset into relationships. Like, you know, I'm not going to feel the way that I felt before. If anything, you're yeah. going to feel that, not me. And it's yeah. just like, and I look at it, I'm like 20, I'm about to be 30 now. And it's like, just recently in like the last year, I'm really starting to see strides in me letting go of that baggage, but it's been there and I'm carrying it in every relationship I go into, like, and wondering why my relationships ain't working. I had a, I had did intensive where me and my counselor went out of town and we did a trauma egg 
And then he sat two chairs in my hotel room and I had to talk to my grandfather and grandmother who passed and tell them what I missed about them and then talk to my mom and dad in these empty chairs of, of some things I need to unpack. And man, it was tough, right? And, and just a trauma egg is I basically go through my life story and then I write down all the trauma, but I put in, a, in, in this egg and it was a big old poster board. And so I had to write in, in it. and man, it was, that was crazy. It was, uh, you talking about two days, like after doing all that, my, my counselor who was doing a lot of the work, he was like, Hey, let's go grab something to eat. I'm like, eat, like, I'm not hungry. Like, I have no appetite, Straight up. you know, Straight up. <laughs> like, and you know, but what was interesting is, um, this is how I knew I was, you know, he was like, wow. When we ate, I just kind of played in my food a little bit. But when we had to go back to the, our hotel rooms to kind of like decompress, I told him that I didn't want to go back to my room. And we walked around the hotel, walked around the grounds. We got in the car and we just kind of left. And because I wasn't sure how I was going to respond or what was going to happen. So I was afraid to actually go back in the room for a few hours by myself because I had never done anything like that before, and I, and I never felt some of the anger, some of the hurt that I had. So it was it was definitely tough. It's not easy work. It's dirty work, but it's definitely worth it. And I think you know, hearing Darren's story, just what he just shared, and, and yours, it's it's a lot of it's about awareness. You know, to be able to let go. I always say let go or be dragged, right? But we awareness is really what loosens the grip on what's weighing us down. We don't know if we don't know, and that's why having outside help, having therapists and coaches and people that are going to be able to, to ask those hard questions and be yes. able to bring you to that place in a safe space, whether it's through a trauma egg or bringing you through a visualization in a bubble, whatever mm -hmm. it is, so you can go there because it's really just your mind going there. Your body's obviously in the present moment, but yeah. the, only, the only way we get through it is to go through it, and sometimes we have to walk through the fire, but when we walk through the fire on the other side is liberation and freedom. And yep. it's really freedom from ourselves because these are the stories that we're telling ourselves. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people run from this work or they've just never been um, exposed or introduced to it. So again, these types of conversations, I believe are what yeah. can really change the world. And for, for you two to have this conversation where once again, people might put football players on this pedestal, like they're the, the masculine of all men and tough as nails. And to me, this is you know, a sign of us, true strength. Some of us are as tough as nails, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then some of us are not. And you know what? It's okay. I, I think the biggest thing that I, I struggle with watching ball sometimes, be who you are, mm. right? Like too, too many guys try to try to not to be, and then, the guys who aren't try to like they try to say that well that guy is you know I mean it's funny as you know now now that I'm back home and just chilling and going to my kids games I get all the time right and I have to check myself I was at a basketball game a couple of weeks ago and some dude walked past me and said I thought he was bigger than that <laughs> I'm just kind of like why like why. And, and I just don't, like, I don't get it. 
And and it put me on alert a little bit because I'm like, well, if he thinks I was bigger and he's walking by and saying that, what else, you know, where, where's this going to lead to? Because, man, I'm just a dad trying to watch his son at a basketball game. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not interested in whatever you're trying to say. And, I, and I'm really just kind of just keeping things, you know, I'm just chilling, bro. Let, let you know, let me live. Don't you, you know, every single day I got to, that guy, I got to push down. Like you don't want that guy to come back, right? You know, I, I really don't. Which is why I think even your morning routine is so sacred and so special just to be able to, so that version of you, the best version of you is operating throughout the rest of your day because... What I hear is someone that someone made that comment to someone that hasn't done the work, they're going to take it personally. They're going to react. And if they're reacting from a place of hurt, like that comment hits your core wound of the not enough, you know, the reactions aren't always pretty. It almost did. It almost did because he kept lingering around and they were looking at their phones like, is that him? Is that him? And then he goes to my wife. Oh, I was just looking at his shoes. And I looked back at him. I was like, I think I think I said, that's I, like somebody trying to um when I look at people in today's day and I'm like when they do things that are kind of like like why are they doing that or why do they feel like they need to do that I feel like it's kind of like we're talking about our insecurities I feel like their insecurities are yeah. so loud that they feel like they have to do something to get them in a position of power like maybe him getting a reaction out of you gives him some power that he doesn't feel in his day-to-day life uh, because he doesn't really know who he is or he's not willing to go through the yeah. uncomfortability of when you were riding around in that car with your with your inner wounds open, afraid to go back to your room, but you were going through it. He's not making that choice to go through it, so he's resorting to decisions on a lower level to, like, let me get a reaction out of this guy so I can the, be in control. Here's the, here's the dangerous part. Man, I would have lowered lower myself and gave everything he wanted. And that's and that's that's the problem. Like I would lower myself and be like, all right, you know, we'll, you know, I would tell man, put your if if you think you can handle these waves in this ocean, put your boat in the ocean, homie. And 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 I got I I really have to stop because that's you know what I'm trying to go through and what I'm what you know what I'm. Just t- internal t- for me is man, you know I, I you know like I said I get up at seven o'clock six thirty in the morning, I'm about that life right, and so you know when a guy is 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 challenging me, like you know I I had to working out when I first retired for a whole full year because the first year I quit where I retired, I worked out and my body started to tingle. Bro, when I say tingle, tingle, like the hairs on my arms, I had those goosebumps, and I had to stop working out because my body said, oh, this guy, oh, we like this guy. <laughs> and it started saying, oh, we're going to play ball. And playing ball, Steve, is disrespectful, Steve. Disregard for who you are, Steve. Disregard for, you know, like what I teach my kids, respect and, and family and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm – I'm doing all of that. I'm glad to say, because playing ball, Steve, my, you know, is, is for me, is, I, you know, I, I go in that locker room and I put on that uniform. I'm, I come out, you know, I, I, you eat, 
you're on my team as an offense, I ride with you. But if you are a defender on the same team, I don't ride with you. And then when we play on Sunday, man, that's that's you, you you've taken off the govern, the governor of man. I can I can let loose. You know, there's times I'm ashamed, but now I kind of laugh about it. Man, there's times where I want that dudes a dude to hit me and say I'm not scared of you. The next play, man, I, it'd be a curl or run a route, and I would box. I would hit a dude in his <laughs> underneath his chin trap. Three or four hits under his chin strap, eight yards into the route, like boop, 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 and run my route. <laughs> and like that's kind of terrible, dog. Like, I was a dirtbag. <laughs> oh, but I feel like playing ball, Steve, served a purpose in your life for the time really? that you were in there. Like you you had to be him. And that was you doing the best that you could with what you had. And you know, I think about uh meditation for me. It's like the way somebody presented it to me was it's not about just being like that monk, like perfectly still for like eight hours, but it's like the repetition of noticing yourself going to a place and just being aware of you going to that place and bringing yourself back. So it's like, so I like, it's like, how do you like, do you struggle with like the, the playing ball, Steve coming back? Because like, I see it as you can honor and respect that playing ball, Steve, by like, when you want to go there, it's just like recognizing yourself and be like, all right, bro, just like, let's just come back. Like that's all that meditation no, is I to me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh-uh. That that man that that Steve, uh, that Steve has come out once or twice. Um, I can't say why um, because it's a little sensitive subject. Um, with uh, I would just say being a dad. How about that? Being a dad of a daughter, and so that Steve came out. That L.A. Steve came out. Mm-hmm. L.A. Steve with a book bag. Steve meeting somebody. Steve came out, and. That wasn't right. Do you have like mantras, affirmations, anchors, um, pattern interrupts, things that you use today to bring you back to your body when, when things like that happen? Like what, what, are, what are some of your practices um, in the moment? Well, the, uh, in that moment, I was all the way gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's real. That, that, that's the way. Um, you know, right now, um, you know, TV has allowed me to, to some degree, it's allowed me to really focus on, you know, a lot of my sit downs, people are su- surprised at I'm very intentional. Um, I'm very well researched. Um, and the other part of me comes out the inquisitive Steve, the young Steve of like, why? Like, you know, what does that mean to you? Why is your favorite color red? Or why is your favorite color um, teal blue? You know, so so those things. So for me, as I'm always uh, reading, I, I, I really enjoy reading informational books. I'm not a, a fictional book reader. I like information. So um, I love I love reading that growing. Um, I'm just, I'm just an inquisitive overthinker, uh, process. Um, and then I love, and I'm a note taker. All right. So I love taking notes about anything. Right. And so, uh, so that, that's, that's what really keeps me going and asking a lot of questions and, um, and I'm a people reader too. So that's the other bad part. 
Like I can, I can read a room. And then by based on reading a room, I may say something or not say something to affirm, to confirm what my thoughts are about what's going on. So a lot of times when I ask a question, I already know the answer. I'm just seeing how you reply to dictate, are you being your authentic self or are you selling me a bill of goods? And then if you're selling me a bill of goods, then I don't fool with you at all. Because now I know that I can't trust you. I can't trust you with a ham and cheese sandwich. So I don't, I'm not going to trust you with anything. So I can walk past you. If I don't trust you, I can walk past you, look at you, look at you dead in your eye. You say, good morning. I say, nah, I'm good, bro. Because I'm going to let you know now. It's not that I dislike you. I just know who you are. It's fascinating. Do you feel like, well, what would you say to someone? This is kind of a two-part question. You can answer it two different ways. First, to the athlete, the the athlete that um, it's about to be a wrap for them, whether it's a college, their college um, college career is over, their high school career is over, their pro career is over. What advice would you give to that person that's about to that transition is about to happen, whether they know it or not? Oh, uh, you want here, here's here's where I go. The truth of the law. What do you want? The truth of the lie. I want the truth. Paint both of them. Paint both of them. Paint both of them for us. Okay. The truth is the honest, unfiltered truth. If your career is about to be over and you just realize that you screwed, bro. Sorry. That's an unedited. That's just reality. Right. If you're, if, if you play in sports, you already know where you're at. You know why. I always ask every athlete, do you know your weakness? If you don't know your weakness, that's your problem. Because your opponent knows. There's a scouting report out on you. Won't you go read it? The lie would be, man, you know, just, you know, just keep trying and, you know, maybe you'll you'll latch on to a team. That's the lie. The truth hurts. I mean, in any situation where the truth was presented to me in my life, it hurt. But yeah. on the other side of that, that's like you'll be appreciate that the truth was brought brought to you. I, I, the reason I say the truth is in, in, in ball players is because in any sport, there's an evaluation, and there's always been an evaluation. A guy gets cut, or a guy is benched, or a guy doesn't. He knows that. It's, how many times we, we sat in meetings and you were checked out and you didn't want to be at practice, you didn't take notes, and then you get out on the field and for some miraculous reason you're discouraged because you thought you were just going to figure it out and you you applied nothing to help yourself on the field. Yeah, that's self-awareness. <laughs> right? Like there's times me and you on the field and I used to say, dog, what are you doing? He'd be like, what? I'm like, bro, you out here moping, and you set yourself up seven hours ago. Seven hours before we stepped on this field, you put yourself behind the eight ball, right? Obviously by doing, you know, the stuff you were doing. But then in in meetings, a book full of nothing. The boy out here doodling, <laughs> you know, trying to he, – he writing down his raps. But here to play football. And then upset 
that football wasn't going well. Sounds like there needs and to so be. And so that's what, I, what you say? No, I was about to say, it sounds like there needs to be, I mean, with a lot of people in the world today, like the elimination of like this spirit of entitlement. Like somehow if I just show up, then somehow things are going to be presented to me or somehow I earned them as opposed to, you know, we don't really know how how things are going to play out, how, how, th- how God has this thing going for us. We present ourselves in the best way we can with our preparation, our effort, and our attitude, and then things happen, and we have to be tough enough to live with the results. But there's so many people yeah. in the world with that spirit of entitlement thinking they can show up. Like, just because I'm here and I put my time in, like, that I should get these but things. Did you, but, but here's your question. Did you put your time in? Talking to me? Yeah. Or are you, are, you, are you saying that hypothetically? No, that was a real question. Uh, at the time when my career wasn't going the way that I wanted to, I was not putting the time in. I appreciate your honesty. But the old Darren that I saw in the locker room, bro, you were swearing up and down you was putting in that time, dog. Yep. <laughs> Zero self-awareness. <laughs> and and you see what I'm saying? That, yep. like, if you are – you're asking me to talk to a person, prepare a, a person for their career, and give them some advice, like – I, I give it to you like this: as in any profession, like who goes who goes on a family trip with no, you know, bump navigation, just a destination. Who goes on Who goes on a family trip? No money, no gas, no driver's license, no cash, no debit card, no nothing. You're just gonna get in the car and go. Go where? Like that. That's that's not realistic. And so, like, when you are, when I'm talking to these young guys, I used to talk to young guys, and they say, man, every guy, you know, when you get the old head, everybody, man, I, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I, I'm going to do everything you do, guarantee you. And, and, and Darren knows, man, we had guys every year. He's one of them, every year. I'm like, all right, I'll lead you. Man, them dudes last three, four days. Because I used to get up every day yeah. and go. I would announce when I come into the locker room, I'm not playing with y'all today. Somebody going to get cut covering me. So be prepared. Your mama, your daddy, your family, get ready to pack your bags because Agent 89 is going to tear y'all a new one. Nobody can cover me today. Wink, defense coordinator and, <laughs> and, and Dean Pease. Hey, I'm letting you know. Nobody can play with me today. With an emphasis on today, because it's like you were invested in the process of today and not worried about the result of when I'm getting there. But it's like, if I'm in today, tomorrow is going to be a today as well. If I keep showing up like this today, then everything is going to fall the way that it should. But if I'm worried about the result, then I'm not taking care of the process. Yes. And then the next day, I come in. I would say, I'll let y'all boys live today. It don't bother me. I do my work today, but I'm not going and, to, and then, and then something in practice where I'll be taking a day off. And then all of a sudden I put that red mouthpiece, bring it out of my sock. Right. Uh, remember the, uh, was you there? You weren't there yet, huh? Uh, my first training camp in Baltimore with, uh, uh, Shockey, Shockey Brown. No, that was a year before me. Yeah. But just like going against guys, I would tell guys, 
man, I, I'll kill your career today, dog. Don't do it. I remember being in in practices. I remember like one of the first OTAs. I think it might have been uh, like Asa Jackson or somebody like tried to pop it off with you, and then you just like went into a different place. And I was just being, I was like amazed by that confidence. I didn't know that a person could have that level of confidence or a spirit or belief in themselves because I didn't really believe in myself that much at the time. Like, what would you say to somebody that really has no idea of what confidence is or how to build it? How do you think they should start in that journey? Does it start with that self-awareness? Yeah, it starts with that self-awareness, but I think it, it believes uh, my preparation, my confidence comes in my, you know, what I do every day, right? So I'm, I'm running, I'm running, I'm averaging about a mile and a half each day when I, when I run and I bike in 20, 30 minutes between six to eight miles, right? And there are some days where I can tell the way my body feels that, I'm not going to be able to get almost two miles a day. So I have to be okay with that. And during that process, I may push myself and my body will say, boy, I told you to slow down. And so I will ha I slow down. But what's crazy is when I slow down and listen to my body, my pace actually gets better. It's when I try too hard mm. to run at a pace that is unsustainable. So I know my own threshold. So when I pace, I'm talking about is I'm trying to hit an 854 mile run when actually when I calm down and just run my pace and allow the surface and I'm running outside, allow the surface to dictate the heels. 954, 915, 930 mile, uh, uh, mile run. Donnie, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of life lessons just in that picture that he just painted, just from people trying to run at a pace that they can't sustain, or trying to move at a pace that somebody else may be moving, or not their own <laughs> pace that they can create in their own life for them to be able to get to where yes. they need to be to at the perfect time that they need to get there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Here let me let me tell you how let me tell you how I found that out. So my my dumb self, I try to go. You know, I try to run with some folks that don't look like me, right? They they built they ain't no no football players, more they gazelles. They won twenty two. Right? After Thanksgiving they right. won twenty. <laughs> <laughs> right, man, I'm running, and we are ten minutes into the run, and I'm going, <sighs> and I'm you know I'm running like like bro, I know I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm running dog. Right, right. I I hit. I think I ran. 450 miles last year, right? And so I'm running, and I'm running with these dudes, and I'm like, what? Why am I so tired? So we run the first mile, and they say, hey, Steve, you want to stop? And so I'm kind of like, I want to stop. You know, let's let's turn around, but let me get a little, you know, let me let me stretch out. My hamstring's tight. So I looked at my, I looked at my uh, monitor. Bro, 8, 15-minute mile. I was way beyond what I'm used to. I was in, I was so uncomfortable. When I say uncomfortable, you know when you're uncomfortable, bro, I can feel my sock flipped over, and that was causing my calf to get tight. I can feel my 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 tights underneath. I had a little roll in my right leg thigh, and that was like restricting. Like my shirt was 
I was just feeling everything. I didn't like the wind blowing in my ear. You know, you know, I always wear a hat. My hat was uncomfortable. Like my body was saying, if you don't know your role, boy, you you gonna you gonna get a flat tire. And I felt my whole body uncomfortable because I was trying to do something that's that was out of the scope of my line of work. I was, I was I was outside, as you know, as they say, I was outside of 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 my bank account, my emotional bank account, and 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 God has such a great sense of humor. What what got me to be able to slow down was I was running, and it was you know a public place, and so a dog came in and jumped on me, so I was able to it stopped, so everybody <laughs> got to stop. I was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And boy, I was stealing all oxygen out the air. (laughs) So I end up running the fastest time I ever ran. And I was hurting for three and a half days. Hamstring, quad, hip, groin, you know, plantar fasciitis kicked in. I mean, everything in my body was hurting because I tried, you know, I tried to keep up with the Joneses mm. instead of being okay and comfortable where I was. And, and and ever since then, I listened to my body, right? Every conversation we have, I think, comes back to the four agreements, which two of them I heard. One of them was be impeccable with your word, which you didn't say specifically, but I think from a preparation standpoint, keeping the promises we make to ourselves, that's where our confidence comes. Like the, the you know, the ones that are, following through on the things they say they're going to do every single day, you know, you become unshakable. And then the noise, the inner, the inner critic, the outside noise, it doesn't even phase mm-hmm. us. And then they'll always do your best. The agreement number four today might look a little different than tomorrow. 50% might be mm-hmm. your best today, but if you're the power of awareness allows us to really do a honest self-assessment on where we're at today. And it's like power versus force. Like we, Letting, I, I teach yoga and I see it all the time. Like, let the practice meet you where you're at. You don't need to do what the person next to you is doing. Your body's completely different than their body. Mm-hmm. To practice with purpose and practice with intention means to let the practice meet you where you're at today. And making a decision today that you think is going to help you, but that hurts you tomorrow is a terrible decision. So especially when we're, we're trying to play the long game and, and take care of our bodies and take care of our minds. And, you know, if you can't move your body, the mind starts to get, my mind starts to get really messy. So, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. I, I would tell you one thing that you're missing that that, that, I, that I realize is uh, be careful of the negotiations you've had with yourself. Mm. You've negotiated things unconsciously that you didn't even realize you did. You've negotiated well if I. I won't do this, but I'll do this. Or I, you know, you know, you start to do little things and negotiate. To all of a sudden, you find yourself, uh, as they say, in a pickle. Mm. Compromise. Yeah, it's almost like the self sabotage voice creeps in there yes. for that negotiation piece. Mm-hmm. I'm a master of self sabotage, but uh, <laughs> Steve, <I> w- <laughs> it's it's proven. It's in the re- it's in the record books. Um, but, um, but you're aware of it today. Yeah. Awareness yeah, is absolutely, first step. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, Steve, I want to ask you, you know, do you, with all the things that you've been through in your life and all the, you know, the roller coaster of what life has been, do you feel mm-hmm. like you're closer to knowing like what your purpose is and why you are here, why you were sent here to be on this earth? 
Nah, I mean, some <laughs> people may say that. I, 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 I believe that I'm here to serve, right? Amen. And I think, um, I believe that that God gives us these things, and in 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 whatever He gives us, um, that we have to cherish it and utilize it in a way, and conduct ourselves, and 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 really um, handle it with care. Because then the reason I say that is because, man, you know, he doesn't give you all of something just for you, for you to keep it and benefit you because he may give you something like, like, I feel like he may give you something at the age of 15 or 22 that may be used to help someone or even help yourself to help someone else at 42. I feel like I see a man so, more more in his purpose today. Damn, you were fun to watch on the field, but just to, to see what you're doing now and how just your your honesty and vulnerability and how much you're doing in your community back in North Carolina, but just how you you have turned your wounds into sacred wounds, right? And then and in doing that, when we share our story, we not only liberate ourselves, but we liberate other people. There's people that are going to be listening to this podcast that are going to hear your story that are going to be so inspired. And it'll bankrupt their story that I'm alone, nobody understands, or there's this shame because mm-hmm. this thing happened to me. Whoa, it happened to him too. And once we start to see ourselves in other people, especially people that maybe we put on a pedestal, man, there's a whole lot of, um, again, it just like bankrupts that story of there are people that have been through this. You're not alone. No, you're not. You're not. I mean, I was talking to my wife the other day and, um, you know, I was just emotionally tired. You know, been processing some other things and I was emotionally tired and I felt alone because what I was dealing with required me. So I was alone because what I was dealing with, it was it, it, it was it was heavy, emotionally heavy. And and so what I tried to do in, in reflection of that is be transparent with her. Right. Not allow silence, not allow silence to separate me from the outside world because that solitude and isolation is exactly uh, where the devil goes to work, where the the internal dialogue be, uh, becomes so negative, right? You can you can isolate yourself and, and, and mess around and run the best 40 ever known to mankind at the combine and destroy your life. You can, you can have so much negativity, you can run a 4-1-1 in the 40 with so much negativity, which takes you down the rabbit hole. And then, and then that, that, that goes, you know, that goes to, to, to whatever, uh, whatever you are medicating with. I feel, I feel like no type of healing happens in isolation. Uh, that was a, that's a technique of mine that, you know, I still have to combat because I think, you know, I don't want to be a burden on somebody else or that, you know, for some, somehow I've shown people that I'm in my mind, I can think that I've done something superhuman and like, I don't want people to see me fall down again because I fell down enough in their face. And it's like, I don't want them to see that anymore, but it's like, it takes a village. It takes community to, to hold us up, no matter how strong we are, no matter how many, you know, feats of strength we can, you know, show to the world, we need people around us. And I still have that thought in today, in today where it's like, if I do something that I didn't necessarily like that I did, I find myself kind of weaseling off into my little corner, into my little cave. And it's like, I can't do that. 
Well, what, what we're doing is we people don't like to say it, right? But we're cheating something. We're always mm-hmm. cheating something. Whether we're cheating our addictions or we're cheating a family or we're cheating uh, a time we could be studying versus playing video games, time we, we could be uh, preparing for something else, that but we're deciding to take a nap. Like we're always cheating something. That I, I really believe our, our, our biggest issue is we don't want to. We don't want to really be known for what we're really doing. Like, you know, sometimes we like to mask the truth. Like, we're all selfish, right? I've been married. I, I'm married to my wife. I've been married for 22 years. The truth of the matter is that why am I married? Because I don't want to be alone. I don't want to die alone. That's the truth. You don't get married to. Spend money, you get married because you want to spend the rest of your life with someone. You don't want to be alone. And to be honest, that's selfish. It's a different kind of selfish, but it's the truth. Yeah, it's still it's still in us all to a certain capacity. You know, in some ways it may serve us, in a lot of ways it doesn't, but it's more so about like there's no way we're going to get to a place where that self-centeredness is completely eradicated. It's more so about like, can I move into that direction every single day of that yeah. of that selflessness and moving in that direction, taking that next foot in front of the other? It's not going to be a perfect ending or a perfect picture where it's like everything I do in my day is just unselfish. But it's about you know how yeah, can I move in that direction? Yeah, like you got to be selfish. Like I, I hate to say it, like if you got to use a bathroom, you need to be selfish to go use the bathroom <laughs> because the person next to you does not want to be next to someone who's uh, uh, relieve themselves and, and sitting <laughs> in it. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's truth. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, just, this has been, I mean, this has been amazing, bro. Like this has been way better than I even imagined. And it's like, we didn't even like, you know what I'm saying? We have notes and it's like, you know, I was going to be like, yo, take, take me through your football career. But it's like, this has been amazing because it's like football didn't lead anything that was going on here today. It may have filtered its way in at some points, but I'm appreciative of the fact that, you know, I could just, you know, push this notebook to the side and we could just, we just talking as yeah. men that know Let's each other and appreciate each other. So I want to ask, I, 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 go ahead. I'll no, say no. this, man. And then I got to go. Cause I actually got to, <laughs> I got to, I got to work. Um, and I'd say this and, and, and I want to tell you because I want to, uh, I want to give you an unqualified and qualified compliment, man. It's so nice. And, and it's so nice to see the man that you become. It is, it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's cool to see who you are, what you've been through. Because a lot of people would have quit. And you didn't quit. There's so many there's so many people who have comments and the way you have conducted yourself, you've have required an example and you are that example. There's two things that goes on with time. The bad news, time flies. The good news, you get to be the pilot. And it's just cool to watch you be that way, man. So I just wanted to tell you, I'm not proud of you to say that I have something, but I'm proud to 
know you. I, I know Darren Waller, the football player. I know Darren, Darren Waller, the man. I appreciate you, man. I still, I still remember uh, when I was uh, suspended from the league, you know, I didn't really have communication with any former teammates like that or any coaches that were, um, you know, from the Ravens or anything like that. But I was in Atlanta back home, you know, and Steve was there for a Thursday night game. The Saints was playing the Falcons in Atlanta. And he reached out to me to, you know, go to dinner. And he was just, you know, wanted to talk to me and was checking up on me and was, you know, that was one of the only times where I felt like, you know, somebody from, you know, anybody I met from the game of football was there for me in that moment in time where, you know, I didn't even really have something that could benefit them at the time. And, um, but you showing up and wanting to do that with me and sit down with me in that time, you know, that made me feel seen. It made me feel, you know, acknowledged. And it, like you saying that right now took me back to that place. And I'm just reflecting, man, it's just like a lot of emotions swirling up in me, man. So thank you, bro. I appreciate you. Well, well I appreciate it and thank you. But you are helping me because when I reached out, I was going, I was like, all right, I'm going to Atlanta. What do I usually do? I sit in my hotel, prepare, right? And I was like, man, who do I know in Atlanta that I can sit and break bread with? And all the guys that are in my, in, in, in my room, in my, in my receiver's room, I always tell them, Right? My numbers stayed the same for almost 10 plus years. I always tell you, if I give you my number, you can always hit me up. There's some guys, I look a dude straight in his eye. Nah, I, you know, I'm not going to call you, you're not going to call me. So I used to be straight and forward. And, you, you know, we know some of those guys in that locker room who it was. Um, and I always let people know where I sat. And I and I wish I didn't as 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 bluntly and unfiltered. But, you know, what's cool is uh, Kamar was in town a couple of months ago, uh, Darren, and he hit me up. I said, all right, let's do it. We had lunch. We had dinner. Picked him up. We had dinner, man. So that's one thing about me is, uh, man, if, you, if, you, if I say you're one of my guys and you say I'm one of your guys, man, you can call me up. You know, I, 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 I try to be – Exactly what somebody said, man. He's he's that guy I love to have um, in a dark alley. And the reason I'm like that is because I know when I was younger, when I was going down those dark alleys, and I didn't have no, I'm be honest, I didn't have no Stephon Smith to call on. So I try to be that guy. I, well, I appreciate you showing up for people and for, to the world in the way that you do, uh, in the way that you faced your pain and all the things that, you could have continued to carry around with you, but you let them go, uh, not only for the people in your life, but most importantly for yourself, man. So thank you. Uh, appreciate you uh, for being here and making the time, man. Uh, don't want to hold you up any longer, but this has been special. Man. Hey, Donnie, you got a good one, man. You got a good one. Nah, Donnie a real one, man. Donnie, Donnie is real as it gets. I know he is, I could tell, but here's the difference. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to have a co-host who's willing to listen. And I'm not saying in podcasts, I'm just talking about in life, right? You know, you need people that can affirm you, ask questions, and help you achieve. And Donnie seems like that guy that affirms, but he's one that seems like he asks the questions. And you know, accountability, yep. you know, 
I'm learning that, man. As a teacher, you want to teach, but as a coach, the best coaches are the best listeners, right? And I think you mentioned it, just inviting in curiosity. The best coaches and the best listeners are the ones that are genuinely curious and they're present uh, Mm -hmm. in those conversations. So it's it's been part of my work. So I appreciate that compliment. And it's been easy to listen, especially to you two going back and forth with um, just the connection and the the loyalty and the really some unconditional love and what I see as like true men in their purpose. It's it's a beautiful thing. So it's been easy to sit back and enjoy the show. Well, I appreciate it. Now I'm about to go on TV and share somebody. <laughs> go do what you do, man. Love Thanks, you, brother. Bro. Hey, you get to play with one of those. You hey, you get to play. I love playing. Uh, Renfro is my guy. Yeah, buddy. That that guy is different. I like. Listen, I always when I saw him play at Clemson, I see him when he got drafted. Man, Renfro is going to play in the league for like 15 years. Yep. He's going to come back to South Carolina. He's going to own a lawn care business, yep. and nobody's <laughs> going to ever know he's a damn quadrillionaire. <laughs> right. Exactly. Shout out to Renfro. Yeah, I like that kid, man. So you're doing a hell of a job, bro. Appreciate it, man. Thank Appreciate you, you making the time, bro. It's been amazing. And, and for you, anytime, you know that. My oh, man, thank you. All right, we All right. God bless you.